We wake up this morning to news about the president and his wife testing positive for the coronavirus, a stirring, striking story in a year that has been filled with stirring, striking stories. This has huge ramifications, and we will begin this episode of This Week in the CLE with a discussion about it. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Chris Warnowski and Jane Cahoon. Laura Johnson's taking the day off. Hey, we're all for the big discussion. Anyway, let's, uh, let's begin. What are some of the early takeaways from the news that President Donald Trump and his wife have tested positive for the coronavirus? This is huge news, obviously. The president of the United States could be infected with a devastating disease. And right before the election, uh, I think many, many people are shaken by this. We hope that the tests are negative, as they were when Mike DeWine tested positive. We hope if it is an accurate test that he's one of the lucky ones who doesn't get the symptoms. He's not showing them now. But we got a presidential race that, that ends in less than, what, six weeks. Um, there's a lot going on. And he was just in Cleveland. So we have Cleveland ramifications of this. Jane Cahoon, my first question this morning was I knew John Houston uh, attended the debate in Cleveland on Tuesday. And I wondered, did he meet with the president? Was he wearing a mask if he did? And we already have an answer for that. Yeah, Andrew Tobias touched base with a spokeswoman for Houston who said he did not meet with Trump or any of his staff or family, and he wore a mask the entire time. But out of an abundance of caution, he's going to get a COVID test, and he said he's going to release the results of that. So that's good. The uh, other major Ohio figure that was with the president this week was Jim Jordan. Uh, do we have we reached him? Do we know what's going on with him? Yeah, we reached out to him and he said, uh, basically, watch me on Fox, which we did. And he said that, you know, we, we know that he was on Air Force One with the president on the way to Cleveland. And he said that he was going to get a COVID test, but he felt great. He had a great workout this morning and he was still going to attend a House hearing. However, he said to be cautious, he's going to do so virtually. He didn't, as far as I know, mention anything about quarantining, which, you know, you might wonder about that because if he was on a plane with the president without a mask, you would think it might be wise to quarantine. But, well, uh, for yourself as well as for others. The, yes. the, the, we don't know if he was wearing a mask on the plane, but he's one of those guys that has not worn a mask in a number of public right. occasions. Right. So he, if he wasn't wearing a mask on a plane where people were spreading the virus, that, that's bad news for him. I hope Hicks, the, the president's longtime aide, uh, was diagnosed with it earlier in the week. She had traveled with the president on the plane to a number of places. Uh, and so there is some thought that's where it was spreading. So Jim Jordan could be in some jeopardy as well. In Cleveland, we all saw the video where the president's family was not wearing a mask. And, and Jane, you saw a pool reporter tweeted that that was in spite of the advocacy from health officials that they should put a mask on. Yeah, this this reporter tweeted that she observed clinic people trying to hand out masks to the Trump family, and they didn't take them. And basically, the response was, well, what do you, you know, that's all you can do, you know. So I don't know. I mean, we haven't independently verified that or anything. But as you said, we all saw them on television walking in without the masks. So 
Well, and they've scorned people who wear masks. I mean, they've ridiculed people who wear masks. I mean, even in the debate, Chris Warnowski, the mask was a central point at one level of the debate where the president was kind of chiding uh, Joe Biden for his mask yeah, wearing. It was it was kind of a mind bending moment because, you know, it, it's weird to think of the the sort of dual realities about masks that that we sort of continue to to live in, in in large part because of of the attitude of people like the president. Because if you look at that exchange, because I went back and watched it last night when this broke down, because I was thinking like, my gosh, like we're just a couple of days away from him, like mocking Joe Biden for you know, not going out for wearing a mask all the time. You know, I mean, that whole like Joe Biden's in his basement thing has been a huge thing. And it's like, yeah, you're both older men who who are, you know, that is one of the the top things that, you know, make you susceptible to this. And yeah, well, it's age and obesity. Age and obesity. The president has both. And, so. and so it's I mean, it was stunning just to see just a couple of days ago that 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 you know, they were having an exchange about masks and, and here we are. So, you know, this is stunning. And, and and like you said, just let me, let me inject another element into this, which shocked me. I said, you know, I send out a daily text message to people who subscribe to it uh, about questions we're asking. And this morning it was, we got a lot of questions about this story and what it means in Cleveland for the people at the debate and, 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 you know, what is the medical treatment and we, you know, a bunch of things we're chasing. And I was surprised that probably within 15 minutes, I had five different people coming back saying, I think this is a hoax. I think the president will come back in two weeks and say, I'm a superior human being. It didn't get me. The virus is no big deal. And the Democrats are making a big deal of it. And when I mentioned that to you, Chris, you had an interesting an interesting perspective about what that means for the country. Yeah. And, and look, I'm not saying I buy into the idea that, that this is a hoax. So I want to. No, no, I, I, no, no. But I just I want to preface what I'm saying, because what I think is such such a sad commentary on where we are right now is that, you know, the president has historically been a dishonest person, I, you know, and I'm not saying that as somebody who, you know, isn't a fan of the president. I'm saying that as it, it is an objective reality. That thousands of lies. Thousands of lies. And, and, you know, he is a dishonest person. And so it's, it's sad that he is so dishonest that people are immediately willing to believe that this is a hoax. It's just sad for any number of reasons. You know, you know, you don't wish ill on people. You don't, you know, you don't, you don't want people to be hurt. But at the same time, you know, if you look at, you know, dating back to like the Bob Woodward tapes and the, I mean, all of this stuff, I mean, it's just, there has just been a callous indifference that makes it (laughs) within this administration that, that has made it, you know, so easy for people to just believe that 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 this this could be something dishonest. And I and- was taken aback. I, I got to tell you, I mean, I, to wake up to the news. I was up very early today and to wake up to the news that the president of the United States has tested positive for this. What you know has a potential to be a horrifying disease. That's a shock. And and the idea that he might be making it up is didn't cross my mind. But I mean, is, but, but, but these, these were people that was their first reaction. I mean, I, and, yeah. and you're right. It says something about the country we live in. I mean, look, 
one of his biggest lies this year was about the coronavirus. He was told in January, this is going to be a repeat of the 1918 pandemic. It's going to be the biggest crisis of your administration. And he turned around and he told the American people, it's no big deal. It'll be gone by April. And we lost a month. If he would have turned around then and said, people, we got a crisis. Here's how we need to deal with it. I want to keep you safe. A lot of people might not have died. So, so he lied about the very thing that's come up. And so maybe that's why people see, see hoax. I just, I, I hope he's, he's one of the lucky ones that the, the symptoms never show up. The way this works is you, you can test positive. You can be shedding the virus days before the symptoms appear. Um, and so for the next few days, he's going to be, I'm sure, walking on eggshells. I'm sure if he shows a single symptom, uh, he will have the best medical care. The, he will have the benefit of the the very latest science on treating it. But there are people his age that got it and died a week later. I mean, this is a very frightening moment for the country uh, to have the elected leader of the country be in such peril. Right. And it, it you know, the ramifications, you know, I mean, it, it, you've already seen it affect the you know, the pre-markets, the, the, I mean, it's the, like the ramifications of this are huge. You know, I mean, there's so much about like what happens, who's in control, who's, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's a really stunning moment in American history. And, you know, you think back to, you know, Rose, I mean, not that I was alive, but you think of, you know, Roosevelt dying in his, his last term. And you think of, you know, all of these things that, that, you know, sort of dramatically reshaped Americans' trajectory on a dime. And this is one of those things that, that it could be one of those things. I wish he would use the moment while he's asymptomatic to address the nation and say, look, folks, wear a mask. I mean, this th- that would have such an impact on his followers, on the rest of the country. Use his example to keep the rest of us safe. That's what a president's supposed to do, right? Look out for the country. Uh, there's a chance he, 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 he has to do that. I, uh, I would hope he would try it. You're listening to this week in the CLE. What percentage of the state schools are heading back to the classroom during the pandemic and how many students so far are sick with the coronavirus? Jane Cahoon, we started the school year with a lot of districts petrified of bringing the students back. But but that's gone away. We've spent more than a month now with a lot of students in the classroom. We are not seeing big outbreaks of the coronavirus as a result. So what's the story? What are the latest numbers? So more more than half of Ohio school districts are, are planning a five-day return to school buildings at this point, about 57%. This is according to a map that the Ohio Department of Education puts out, which Emily Bamforth has posted with her her story that she has on cleveland.com. But uh, when they when they initially released this map in August, about 78 school districts out of more than 600 didn't have any data. And uh, but but this updated version shows more complete data, although it's not totally reliable because not all the districts have have confirmed their plans. But uh, they about 31% of school districts are, are coming back in some sort of hybrid for, format, and 12% are in, in staying in a remote format. So it's a lot. I mean, we got a lot going back. There's a lot of predictions that as the weather gets colder, this thing will spread more. I know teachers, because I'm married to one, are all believing this is temporary, that there's going to come a point where the districts say, oh, oh better, better stay home. 
But for now, it's uh, it's kids in the classroom, which let, look, even with all of the restrictions where the kids have to stay at their desk and they're surrounded by plastic shields and really working off computer terminals, in-person education is the better way to do it. So at least while they're there, they're getting a, uh, a decent education. Okay, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. What is Ohio Governor Mike DeWine saying and doing about the legislature's failure to repeal the bribery-inspired bill that will force us all to give $1.3 billion to the owner of the state's two nuclear plants? Jane Coon, we talk about this a lot, and the listeners to this podcast and our audience for Cleveland.com thank us for doing so because we're about the only ones banging this gong. The, the, we asked the governor about this yesterday. What are you? What do you think is your duty since the legislature and Bob Cup are just failing miserably in their in their duty? What is the governor's duty here to fix this? We didn't quite get an answer to that question, but we did get something. Yeah, he didn't directly answer the question about whether he has a duty to help protect Ohioans from from these fees. But uh, but he did say he agrees with Attorney General Dave Yost, who wants Energy Harbor, the, the former First Energy subsidiary that owns the nuclear plants, to be transparent and to uh, about its finances so that lawmakers can determine whether it really needs this bailout money. He said, I think he's right that transparency is always good and more information you know, about their financial situation would be helpful. So that's where he stands. Well, it's good. I mean, it was nice to have him echo the attorney general on we we, we deserve evidence. They actually needed the money because our lame legislators didn't seek that before giving them the one point three billion. But we also said, what are you going to do? He didn't answer that. And unfortunately, when reporter Laura Hancock tried to follow up to say, I, I asked you what you think your duty is, Dan Tierney cut off her microphone. <laughs> I noticed the disadvantage of those remote <laughs> have, uh, briefings now, not being there in person. You don't get a chance to do a follow up. Except some people do. I noticed that a, <laughs> another reporter later, a more friendly reporter, somebody that doesn't ask quite as barbed a question, was, was allowed to ask follow up. And it's so. Just pointing out, if you were listening, wondering why Laura Hancock didn't drill into him, she started to speak and her mic went dead. <laughs> well, the other uh, thing that's interesting is, so the the governor said in response to Laura's question, this needs to be repealed because the process was so flawed and it cast this bad light and we're never going to recover from this and we just need to repeal it and figure out what we're doing. And then after the the story went up, the the governor's spokesman, you know, reminded us that the governor has not only called for the repeal, but the replacement of the of the bailout. So, uh, yeah, you know, I know, we, but we did notice that. I mean, you know, because I think he's saying maybe there's still, you know, maybe maybe a bailout is necessary. Yeah, maybe we have no idea. They passed a bill. In, in 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 complete corruption, based on bribery, without doing any of the homework, just with First Energy saying, trust us, we need the money. I mean, that's ridiculous. This thing should just be thrown out, and the owner of the plant should have to come in and show that they actually need the money. To call for a replacement before you even know if they need the money is preposterous. I mean, shame on the governor for saying, I want replacement before he has the damn facts. The first thing they should do, right, is 
<laughs> get evidence you need the bailout. The whole argument is we don't want to lose nuclear plants in Ohio because if natural gas prices ever go up or we lose other energy sources, we have that one. And so we should keep, we owe it to ourselves to prop those plants up. Okay. All right. I mean, that's an argument. There are people that disagree with it, but it's an argument. But the first thing you need to know is, are they foundering? We have no clue. So calling for a replacement, throwing the flag, that's bogus. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Everyone seems to love the downtown Heinen's. So when is it reopening after the damage was repaired following the May 30th riot downtown? Chris Ranowski, people adore this store. And the biggest question following the protest that turned into looting and unrest was, is Heinen's coming back? And it was a question because the coronavirus has made life difficult there for sure. We have an answer. Right. So if people aren't familiar with this whole story, it, it, the, the Heinen store was actually damaged uh, quite a bit during the uh, May 30th George Floyd protests. Uh, it was probably one of the more damaged properties. And they basically said they're going to be opening here uh, in a couple of in a couple of days, I believe. So but they're going to be implementing, you know, limits on the amount of people that can come in. And um, they also said that they're not going to be reopening their um, one. The most popular thing in that store is the ability to go in there and have lunch. And and, you know, they always have like fresh food and, and you know, they have salad bar and you could get bowls and all that stuff. None of that, I think, is going to reopen. You can get like. Uh, prepackaged food, but you can't, you're not going to be able to really eat in there. So that, that part of the store is going to sort of be limited, which is that's, and that's in the, the really beautiful, like bank atrium kind of part of the Cleveland, the old Cleveland trust building there at Euclid and ninth. But for downtown residents, they'll have a grocery store that's easy that they like. So it's nice that it's coming back. It's an investment by Heinen's because I'm right. That is, they're continuing to lose money on that investing in a future robust Cleveland. Well, and you know, it, it's all of their other stores have stayed open, and you know, we we go to one every once in a while just because it's it's handy, and they are they have a really good setup for dealing with shopping during the coronavirus. They, they, they really do sincerely limit the amount of people who go into the store. As far as I've seen and experienced, the customers have been very respectful of, of wearing masks and staying out of people's way and, 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 you know, sort of following the rules of everything, you know? So, you know, I think as, as businesses go, they've, they've done about as good as anybody can. So, you know, they're, they're a necessity. So, you know, I think, following the rules and doing the right thing was in their favor. So we'll, okay. we'll see how downtown recovers as a result of this. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Cuyahoga County started the pandemic as the statewide leader in coronavirus cases, but our fortunes have changed. What's the good news we're hearing here and roughly how many people have this thing statewide? Chris, we keep using the idea of getting to herd immunity to be the point where We'll be safe, which we got to come up with a better word because it makes us all sound like moo cows, right? I mean, it's like <laughs> we're not a herd, we're people. But, but you know, Cuyahoga has some good news. The state levels mean we got a long way to go before we get to a point where we're all protected. Right. We still have, you know, I mean, keep in mind new cases. I think we had like 1,327 yesterday. And, you know, in total, since the they started tracking this, they have one hundred and fifty five thousand confirmed cases. So that's 
you know, still not great, but we have seen a decline in Cuyahoga County, which is, is, you know, from the beginning where we were the hot, one of the major hot spots, you know, for us to come down and is actually pretty remarkable. And they haven't really, there's not a, a, a definitive why, you know, I mean, I'd like to hope that it's because everybody is, is, is doing well and behaving and, and wearing masks and respecting people's distance. But, you know, there, there may be other explanations for this that we're not really totally clear about right now. And then yesterday the, at the briefing, the governor's briefing, they provided some information about the percentage of Ohioans who have been exposed to this, who have had it. And it's still very, very low, meaning that most of us are very vulnerable to this this new virus. Right. So it, it's interesting, you know, Cuyahoga County had, and I'm just going to read this verbatim out of the story, the, the Cuyahoga County had 31.3 new cases per 100,000 people over the past seven days compared to a rate of 63.4 cases per 100,000 for the other 87 counties combined, um, according to the Ohio Department of Health data. Um, and and back in July, we had 122 new cases over seven days per 100,000 residents, well above the rate of 72.9 cases for the rest of the state at the time. So, so we, we have really, you know, we have really sort of made a dramatic inroads against this, you know, so I, I, I don't, I don't know that it's something to be proud of, but it's something definitely that we, you know, I, hopefully we can maintain this, this trajectory in this county because we are so populated and, you know, we, we, we are a, a big community. So, you know, it's, it, it, it bodes well for us that we're moving in this direction. Okay. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Do Ohio Governor Mike DeWine and Ohio Senator Rob Portman denounce white supremacy even if their fellow Republican, Donald Trump, wouldn't do it Tuesday night during the debate? Jane Cahoon, it's not just that Trump would not denounce white supremacy Tuesday. He also wouldn't do it Wednesday. And as the crescendo of criticism built, he finally did do it Thursday night. He finally said, I do denounce white supremacy. I denounce the KKK. I don't know who the Proud Boys are, but I denounce them too. <laughs> um, I mean, it was it was still, for me, the biggest moment of the debate when the president of the United States refused to do it. It, it seems like a no-brainer that others would immediately stand up to do it, but given how much support his fellow Republicans have given the president, it's not a no-brainer. So what do we know about Mike DeWine and Rob Portman? Well, well, let me start with Rob Portman, because I think he actually, in this case, was more direct in in criticizing the president or at least kind of calling on him to do the right thing. He said that that Trump missed a good opportunity to clearly condemn white supremacy during the debate. And he he urged him to do so. And I quote, unequivocally, because, as I said, after the debate, there's no place in our society for hate groups of any kind. So he also issued a statement when we asked him about it directly uh, that he said, I wish we had a better debate over policy differences. And, um, you know, he, he said, yes, he missed a good opportunity. He should do so unequivocally. 
And he said, as I've said consistently, our leaders need to do more to try to bring our polarized country together. And both the president and former vice president can and should play a role in that effort. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. What did, um, <laughs> what did Mike DeWine say? Now, this, I saved Mike DeWine for a second because honestly, I just thought this was a little strange. He, opened his coronavirus briefing on Thursday, you know, by sort of saying, uh, and maybe this was because he issued this really cheerful tweet on Tuesday night saying, great debate, you know. So he said, you know, this wasn't our finest hour. And he kind of called out, you know, scolded Trump and Biden for for name calling during the debate. And then he he pivoted a little bit and he launched into this big condemnation of hate groups and extremists on both the right and the left without really saying kind of why he was bringing that up. And, you know, like he said, it sickens me that there are people in our country who perpetrate this hate and violence and work to divide us. And 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 then he pivoted to this staunch defense of our election system again not kind of acknowledging why he was bringing it up and saying in Ohio and in this country, our elections are sacred and, and, you know, there is a sanctity to our elections process and assuring people that their votes were safe. And then Lieutenant Governor John Houston, who's a former secretary of state and ran our elections, kind of launched into a similar defense and, but never saying well, the reason we're bringing this up is because the president undermined our election system and wouldn't denounce white supremacy. So reporters pressed DeWine on this later, and they asked him a few different ways, and he kind of wiggled around it. And then he seemed to get a little defensive and, and said, you know, press conference after press conference, I get asked uh, about different comments by the president or somebody else. I'm not here to answer every single thing the president said. You know, and he basically said it's not my job to critique him, uh, but he did say it's his job to speak out against violence or disruption. Of uh, well, can I ask so. a quick question? This is Chris. Chris um, who who is the head of the Ohio uh, for Trump? Uh, uh, is it is it Mike Dewine? Is it Mike Dewine and John Houston are co-chairs of Trump's Ohio campaign? Okay, I just wanted to make that clear. <laughs> I, I, but, but, but actually, Chris, you have been. Um, pretty, pretty um, insistent through these months that that Dewine should repeatedly be asked to react to the the strange things that Donald Trump says, and and he is, and every time, almost, I mean, he just deflects it. He will not criticize the president, and, and so you're right, Jane. Yesterday was bizarro because the president refused to denounce white supremacy, and then he said completely baseless things to undermine the election. Mike DeWine has has a role of stopping white supremacist groups from from affecting life in Ohio and you know he has a role in ensuring a safe election. It is completely proper for the governor of Ohio to criticize an elected leader who basically lies about what's going on with the election and refuses to denounce white supremacists and he won't do it. And it, and it is a disappointing thing because Mike DeWine does a lot of things well. And as the elected leader of Ohio, he really should say, I completely disagree with what the president's doing. The election's good. He should shut up, you know, that, that, that he should stop trying to say the election is in danger because he's wrong across this land. People are making sure that's not the case. And of course, he should denounce white supremacists. 
So when he got annoyed at the question of where he's called out, you know, he said, I think I've, I've been pretty strong in my, my position here, but he wasn't because he won't call out the elected leader of the country for saying preposterous things. Chris Wernowski, well, let's wrap up the podcast on this because I'm sure you have a thought and that'll take us to the end. Well, I think one of the important things that we we kind of overlooked, and maybe he hasn't really addressed this outright, is that we've already seen like armed voter intimidation in other states. And, you know, given what has happened in the past eight months with, say, our our former health director being terrified of walking out of her house because there were armed protesters on her street, you know, we do have to address the security and safety of our elections. And in large part, because the president has basically said, I want people, I want my people out there making sure there's no shenanigans with the elections, which, you know, in some instances is not legal. And so it's just, you're exactly right. That's right. why the governor should call him out because right. what, and it's, what it, the president did was endanger the voters of Ohio by by suggesting that the Proud Boys be ready to rock. And that could affect us. And so that's why it's necessary for, for the governor to say, President Trump, cut it out. I, I, I will give him the benefit of the doubt in, in saying that he and I've said this before, he's in a really difficult position because I have to believe in my heart of hearts that the president frustrates the hell out of Mike DeWine and John Husted on an almost daily basis that they don't wake up every day wanting to go to these press conferences and having to address whatever has happened on Twitter and whatever has happened. But at the same time, they do have to work with the federal government. I mean, that's it, it, it's weird when people talk about how, oh, this company has is working with the president. It's like you have to work with the president. You do, whether you like the president or not. And all right, well, and we, I, I, look, I, we got to we're running right, out of I, time. I, I do think that the people of Ohio would have liked to have heard Mike DeWine say, Donald Trump, stop scaring people about the election. We've got this and stop raising the specter of violence at the voting places. We've got this. I think it would have made his constituents feel better. And the fact that he refuses to do so for politics raises serious questions. I get it. He's got to work with the guy, but that doesn't mean he has to be a puppy dog for the guy. He can stand up to the guy when he feels strongly. And he clearly felt strongly yesterday. Just wouldn't say the words. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. All right. We went long. I'll have to go in and see if I can cut something. Chris, <laughs> thank you, Chris. Thank you, Jane. We miss you, Laura. Thanks, everybody, for listening to This Week in the CLE. We will be back on Monday.